In the words of David Letterman, wake the kids, phone the neighbors. <laughs> the Extra Bases podcast is back. That's right. We are back. Jeremy Booth, Jason Bristol. Jeremy, it's been a long time. It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, we've had rockets and you've been traveling. But I, The islands have been good to me. The islands have been good to you. And the Astros, well, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that is beating up on the teams they're supposed to beat up on. Yeah, and they're beating up on them. We talked about they're going to have to slug their way through things from the beginning of the year just because of the rotation challenges they had you know, after Garrett Cole. Um, and people don't want to say that. They didn't want to say that up front, but let's be honest. I mean, they have to hit, and they're hitting, and they're swinging the bat, and um, George Springer's doing some damage, and Carlos Correa's doing some damage, and it's going to be fun for them. And think of it. They are now putting up numbers at a historic rate. In fact, some people right now are saying this could be the best offense in the history of baseball. Is that historic in college? Like you go and let's not go to okay. Seth Beer. All right. Conversations so that's historic right in now. professional baseball. Yeah. You know no, what? No, major um, league baseball, major league baseball. Yeah. yeah they, uh, you know, look, what's the, I mean, what's the standard everybody talks about the 27 Yankees, exactly. right? That's a standard. Um, it's still pretty early to see if they're going to be better than the 27 Yankees, but what I can say is they have the pieces to be really good and they know how to play off each other. ESPN Stats and Info putting out an article saying that the 2019 Astros, they are at this point ahead of the 27 Yankees when it comes to weighted runs created formula from fan graphs. I'm not ready to put them as the best offense ever because one of their best hitters right now is on the shelf. And there's a couple of guys playing over their heads, right? Robinson Chirinos. Yeah. Regression. Jake Marisnik. Oh, for sure. Um, regression to the mean, right? That means they're going to go backwards. They're going to back up and kind of settle into who they are. Um, that said, you know, I, I kind of rolled my eyes at WRC+, but the reality is, is that today's standards of statistical measurement, you know, just like 27 Yankees, their standards of statistical measurement. So I would say... Um, it's likely. I said Springer was going to be the MVP candidate before the year. Yes, that was your fearless um, prediction. And I feel like he's on track for that. I think Correa hit his 10th yes. today so far. Um, they're just they're just crushing people, man. They're beating up on people. And if these guys get hot and they play well, and I mean hot as if they play into their ability, even with the, the holes they have really in their lineup, it's going to be pretty pretty good. I'm not quite ready to say they're the best team in baseball, though, because of those issues they have in the starting rotation, and in middle relief? Or is it one of those situations where when you're ranking the best teams in baseball, nobody's perfect? Somebody, each of these teams has an issue somewhere, and it just happens to be some of the spots in the starting rotation and middle relief for the Astros. Well, you know what? The, the, the expression goes, they all have hickeys, right? Um is that the expression? That's the expression. They okay. all have hickeys. Nobody's perfect. There's all there's something somewhere that the people wish they could be better at. Um, but I go back to the Astros of two years ago. Granted, a different payroll, mm -hmm. and and they were really good. Just really good. And the Red Sox last year caught fire at the right time, and you saw what they could be, and they were really good. Um, these guys have some issues. One of which they've already started to overcome by moving Carl Colin McHugh, who last time we had this podcast, we talked about how he'd been such a surprise. The biggest surprises. Colin and McHugh. I knew you were going to say Colin McHugh was a surprise and he, he should be in the bullpen. Right. And um, you were right. <laughs> you were right. He's a, he's a reliever for me. He's, you know, he wants to be a starter, but he's a reliever. He's a better fit for this club. And it's a better fit for his career to be in, a, in the bullpen. But um, 
they went and got some power. I mean, Corbin Martin's got some power that, that, that he does have. And um, he's in the rotation now. Is he the long-term answer at the number three spot? I don't know. Um, he's the guy for right now. And he deserves every opportunity to see if he's going to stay there and pitch in that spot and help the club. You bring up Corbin Martin. Yep. We mentioned this on Sports Extra on Sunday. Yep. Is he a long-term answer in this rotation? You said no. And I thought it was very interesting what you said. You mentioned, and I couldn't think of an example either after you said it. Right. It is very rare to see a college reliever become a middle-of-the-rotation starter in the major leagues. Yeah, I, don't, I can't think of anybody that's done it. I couldn't think it. of anyone either. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that that it can't be done because nobody does it until there's a first time, right? Sure. I'm not saying that. You know, Corbin Martin, coming up with his pure stuff and his control and the way he was able to execute the other day, um, both in and out of the zone, had some hitters pretty conscious. I mean, that fastball had some heavy life on his arm side, and um, the slider was able to bury that a little bit, and the changeup was pretty good pitch the other night. So, you know, I can't say that he's not going to be a starter. I, it's just, it, he's going to, if he'd given up 10 runs, I said on, on Sports Extra, if you're up 10 runs, I'm saying the same thing. That's the pitch here. First time through, it, it might as well be, you know, it's a mulligan, whether it's a shutout or, you know, you get beat, but it's, he's going to be really good. He's a big leaguer and, you know, he's proving, he's proving what development can do, whether he did on his own or with the Astros or a combination of both. Um, it's a big arm. It's a big arm. It's a heavy fastball. And, and my, my concern with Corbin Martin, and we'll, again, we see how this needs to play or how this plays out, is that it's a lot of swing and miss stuff. Now, that's really good. It's also a lot of pitches. A lot of pitches don't mean lots of innings, right? And he's going to really need to be around the zone a lot and, and, and execute to be successful and show some feel. And we'll see over time if he has it. He was lights out in the Cape Cod League, but really I think he may have turned a corner with his experience in the Alaska Baseball League the summer before he went to the Cape, and I believe that was 2015. And he showed electric stuff out of the bullpen, mm -hmm. and then the next summer went to the Cape Cod League, and I don't know off this know this off the top of my head, but I don't believe he allowed an earned run all summer in the Cape. Out of and the it's bullpen. possible that he may not have allowed a run in the Alaska League either. But that was out of the bullpen, Correct, right? yes. Okay. Correct. His stuff out of the bullpen... And, and I, I say this because I'm constantly beating up on people for being reliever, 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 right? Um, he's got a chance to be a starter. I don't know that he's a two or a three. But back to that, I mean, again, pitching one inning here, one inning there, and then coming into the rotation and, and pitching, you know, throwing six innings a night all year is a little different. So he's been developed as a starter, and that's good. That's good. But, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. He pitched in Falmouth in 2016, and I just pulled up the stats and um, he had 15 innings pitched, 22 strikeouts, 14 games. And uh, I'm sorry, he allowed two earned runs. So he allowed two earned runs all summer. That's, that's Struck out 22 in 15 innings. How many walks? Three walks, yeah. 22 strikeouts. I mean, he's, got, he's got a ton of control. He's got swinging his stuff and a ton of control. And that's a pretty good recipe to start with. The question is going to be if he has enough feel to – change speeds, change locations to be able to execute his pitches in and out of the strike zone or over a period of time because these hitters are going to eliminate something. They're not going to sit there and wait, worry about all three or four or seven or whatever he's got. They're going to get rid of something and focus on two, okay? And his fastball is enough to keep you conscious, but if he misses with that out over the plate, it's going to get hit. His slider is going to have to show he can throw it for a strike constantly or they're not going to worry about it. They just haven't seen it yet, so we'll see how that goes.
during your experience scouting, mm-hmm. did you run across Corbin Martin during your travels? I saw him in high school before he we went to A&M. Um, and he, it was early. Okay. He was young. It was really violent with so his head. So you didn't see him in his senior year? Uh, I don't, you know what? I, th- I think I saw him in a scrimmage. Okay. Now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, it was, that was 2013. Probably. 14-ish, 14. 2014. So I was doing the West Coast. So I okay. saw him the year before. Okay. okay. But it was violent. It was recoil. The arm action wasn't good. It was reliever the whole way. And you walked out going, man, this guy's got to go to college and he's going to blow out if he does anything. And so I'm surprised to see him as clean as he was the other day. That was pretty good. I mean, that was just, it was a better delivery than I thought. It was a little bit velocity reliant, a little bit velocity reliant, which means he has to, you know, everything's hard. Everything's hard, but the changeup's pretty good pitch. And um, he's got a chance to have an, be an equalizer. It's, it was really interesting to see the development of where he's come in five years. Looking around baseball, the American League East is starting to shape up the way we thought it would shape up. Yeah. Right now, the Rays have a half-game lead over the Yankees, and the Red Sox now have uh, a 22-19 and record as of Tuesday night, just three games back. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. The Yankees 7-3, and three, the Rays 5-5. Five and five. You think the Rays, though, have enough to hold them off because you mentioned earlier that they were your pick in the American League East. The big question is, will Tampa go out and get somebody? And I know this is a long way away, but in a couple of months, will they make the plunge into that trade market, those trade waters, and make a deal to better their team? I don't know if they make a trade, but there's a free agent signing they can make in about two weeks. <laughs> okay, They have to get to that point before Dallas Keuchel um, is no longer a draft pick tied guy. And I feel like Tampa is somebody who doesn't want to give up those picks because they're so, such a low payroll team that pitching in Tampa might be attractive with a guy like Charlie Morton on staff, who he knows, with a winning ball club, with a team in the race. No state income tax. No state income tax like Texas. I feel like um, that's a destination he could go. And for, for Tampa, with what they have to give up, which is nothing, to get him now, that might make some sense. That's very interesting because he historically pitches well against the Yankees. Frank Larry mm-hmm. in the 60s was known as the Yankee killer pitching for the Detroit Tigers. And really, if you're going to talk about a Yankee killer of this era, yeah. it is Dallas Keuchel for the most part. You know, Keuchel pitched really well in a big hitter-friendly ballpark here for a long time. That as well. And we keep, we keep talking about it like it's, it, it wasn't a big achievement. I mean, the man had a three and a half, essentially, 3.7, something like that. Um he was under. He was, his whip was was low. His his home runs allowed was down. Everything he did in a hitter's ball, he did it here in Houston, where the ball flies out of the yard. And he won a Cy Young pitching here, right? We're going to talk about him like it's not he, what he what he's done and what he can do in the future. Look, maybe five years and 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 150 million, whatever he's asking for, is a lot of money. But um, to do what he did here plays pretty well for going to pitch in Tampa. And he has said that. He's not just, I don't want to say holding out, but holding out for the right deal. It's not just for him, but it almost seems, if I remember the quote correctly, that he's doing it for the the good of players because he's not going to settle. He's not going to settle for less than what he believes he's worth on the market. Yeah, never settle, right? Never settle. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, so he, um, you know, my, my, my thing with Dallas Keuchel is he's earned his money. And there's some, for some reason, there's a guy 
seemingly every year that has to wear it, you know, because the owners decide or the people, whoever decides they don't want to pay him or he overvalues himself. But he's, he's got a point. The same analytics that are being used, and by, let's just call that stats, the same mm-hmm. stats and the same um, advanced look into players that the front offices are using, his guys are using too. And they come out the same way, and it's a lot more than what he's been offered. So explain that. I can't explain it. And if you can't explain it, I know he can't explain it, then there's no real answer for it in the fact they just don't want to pay him. And that's not good enough because for the game, if I'm then I'm from Dallas Keuchel, I made a little bit of money, I'm going to go ahead and wait four months or three months. And then I'm going to go pitch after the All-Star break. I'm going to do whatever I can to get it back in California, which is a pretty good spot to be hanging out. Newport, Newport Beach, Beach, everybody. And not bad. So, I mean, if he's going to do that, he's going to come back and pitch for a club. Why would, First of all, Houston's now got to be off the map. Like, I'm not coming back to Houston if I'm him, if I have other options, because you didn't need to give up a pick to sign me. You just chose not to, right? I'm going somewhere else. It becomes personal. At that point, it does. Absolutely. His numbers are actually better at Minute Maid than you actually make them out to be. Okay. I just looked it up, his splits, baseball reference. What do we got? He was 40 and 27 at home with an ERA just over three, 3.09. He was 36 and 36 on the road with an ERA of 4.27. His whip, 1.150 at minute made, 1.4, call it, on the road. That's just flat out impressive. Especially in that ballpark. It's impressive. And and to think that he doesn't have a job today is just baffling. But that's going to change. And in Tampa Bay, you know, look, they got a couple of guys in the in the front of the rotation, right? They got some some call it concerns in the back of the rotation. If I'm them, I'm smelling blood right now. Smelling blood. The Red Sox are beatable, the Yankees are beatable. Tampa Bay might be the best put together ball club in the division. Um, this is a chance to recognize early, especially with that early trade deadline, only being one trade deadline this year. Mm-hmm. If I'm them, I'm jumping all over a guy like Keiko. For a pillow contract for a year, maybe two, I'm jumping all over it. Now, earlier on Facebook, I asked all of our Extra Bases podcast listeners, send us your questions. And Sharon on Facebook sends us this one. How much more string is AJ going to give Tyler White before we, the Astros, drop him? Uh, <laughs> That's a tough one. I'm not a Tyler White fan. You know, he's, he'll probably, he, and he, he, if you say that, he unfollows you on Twitter. Not that he's following me, but. He does unfollow people. Super on nice guy. Yeah, great guy. Good clubhouse guy. I just look. He's not an aircraft carrier. It's just, you said that last year. He's pro sports. Like it's not. He played over his skis last year, and good for him. But if we're really talking about what he's settling into, I don't know if he's quite this bad. But he's not what he was last year. It's somewhere in the middle, and he's he's help. He's a piece. So, um, you know, in my mind, it's about where are the where are the bats right. They got a guy in AAA who's doing all right. Um, who's going to come up here and be a force. His, his name is not Kyle Tucker. And the question really becomes, at whose at-bats does he take, right? Who does he move? Tyler White right now is not somebody that has to play every day. At least he shouldn't. And um, if you have to win with Tyler White playing every day, then you, your club has a hole anyway. So it's really about whose at-bats does he take beyond that. And Tyler White's just the guy to come off the roster. Tyler White has been helped, I think, by this offensive explosion sure. around him. Because, listen, if the Astros aren't performing at the plate the way they are now, then the microscope or the magnifying glass gets really large and it centers, okay, on him, one of the guys that are not performing. So I think the fact that the Astros have performed really well offensively, it's actually, I think, kept him around because you can hide a guy or let him try to figure things out a little bit longer if everybody else is around it's, around him hitting. However, 
come playoff time, which is when it really, really matters, that's 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 not going to cut it. So I give them, I think the Astros, a couple of more weeks, I think. And then I think you've got to make a move. I don't know if you get it. Well, so look, there's two ways to say it. You're right. He's being helped by the production around him. Okay? Two ways. Number one, it does take the spotlight off him. His bat isn't as necessary. But um, there's nowhere for the the guy to replace him to play at the moment because the team is doing well. People are producing. You don't break up the chemistry, right? If you bring somebody up out of AAA, who we'll talk about here in a second, if you bring somebody up out of AAA to play here, they have to play. You can't. There's no reason to bring them up otherwise, right? Especially somebody who's 21 years old. So for Tyler White, who can be a roster filler and be some help and be on the bench, it's fine to keep him here right now. He's a good clubhouse guy. Chemistry's good. Hey, man, go get you know four bats a week, eight bats a week, and see what happens. And as soon as somebody starts struggling in the lineup, though, he's not the answer. It's somebody else. That's how that goes. So, Sharon, thank you for the question. Now the guy that everyone wants to talk about. Yeah. Jordan Alvarez, who is just mashing in AAA. Yeah. Batting over 400, yeah. among the leaders in professional baseball in home runs. The guy seems to get three or four hits every single game, every time you look at the box score. Yeah. What's the word you're getting from the so, industry on Jordan Alvarez? So, look, in scouting, when you see a player, there's some reports that are really easy to write, and there's some that are really not easy to write. And... This one's an easy one to write from what I'm getting. And, you know, I've, I've seen glimpses of him before. Um, first of all, he's ahead of schedule. He's 21 in AAA, right? So that's ahead of schedule. Um, what I got out of this was this. And it's, it's hard to say this because what we're about to say is some pretty good players. And, and some of the stuff I got from good evaluators is being nice. These guys are really good scouts, and, and, and they know, they've seen a lot of players. And they're also tough judges of the players because mm-hmm. of that. Um, Quote I got was, I'm not saying he's David Ortiz, and I'm not saying he's Ryan Howard, but he might be. Whoa. And, and that's, that's wait, pretty wait, good. say that again? Yeah, I'm not saying he's David Ortiz, and I'm not saying he's Ryan Howard, but he might be. And I heard that. I was like, really? And so it's, it's all fields power. It's, it's two carrying tools, hit and power, which means he has a chance to carry him through success in the major leagues. Um, it's a plus bat, so it was a six bat, you know, 65 power, which translates numerically to, you know, 285 and 35. And that's the numbers I got. It's what he can do here in the big leagues. I heard he's ready. It's a matter of when, not if. And who does he move? And whose at-bats does he take? And that guy doesn't come up here to sit. That guy's got to play down there until there's a spot for him. So, um, you know, he comes up, and the question is, oh, where does he play? First base is a work in progress. What do you do? You know where he plays? Left-hand hitter. That's where he plays. <laughs> he plays in the left-hand box, and he swings, and he hits and produces runs. He's a middle-of-the-order run-producing bat. And, 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 and I'm telling you, I, you know, the guys that I've talked to about it, the, it's the passion in their voice, the fire. It, you don't hear that. No offense to anybody else. I didn't hear that about Corbin Martin. I didn't hear that about Forrest Whitley. I didn't hear that about Kyle Tucker for sure. But this guy, this guy's got people excited. What a steal for the Astros, getting him in a deal from the Dodgers. Absolutely. What a steal. So Jordan Alvarez right now, I mean, you look at a 1,300 OPS, 15 homers in 35 games. But also impressive to me is the walk-to-strikeout ratio. That's something I always look at with young hitters. 22 walks, 
30 strikeouts in 35 games in AAA. And again, I know AA is the testing point for a lot of guys, but when you're in AAA and you're facing big leaguers, big league arms, and you've got 22 walks against 35 strikeouts yeah. or 30 strikeouts, 30 strikeouts, that's pretty good. It, you know, one of the guys talked to me about the ability to get to the next pitch. And when you have high walk, up, walk numbers and high strikeout numbers, it means you're disciplined, right? I mean, some calls didn't go your way, and you know, you're 21 years old in AAA, and some guys don't know how to pitch, and you know, but you're doing your damage, but there's still some things to work through. But the ability to get to the next pitch, foul the ball off, hit it the other way, hook one, something to get to the next pitch. Your pitch. Your pitch. Something to make the pitcher have to throw more pitches and make a mistake for production. That's a skill. And this guy's got that skill. So it's going to be interesting to see how this really plays out. But I got to tell you, of all the guys that we've talked about in this system. Um, Other than maybe even Whitley? Uh, I didn't hear the same excitement. Even Whitley? Didn't hear it. I'm not saying Whitley's not a dude. We know yeah. he's a guy. But I didn't hear the same level of excitement. I didn't hear it about Martin. I didn't hear it about Tucker. I for sure didn't hear it about Bukowskis. And I don't hear it about, about Whitley as I do this guy. So that's impressive. Now, I'm excited because these guys are excited. And that's... That's hard for me to get to because I'm always looking for the hole. That's what we do in the game is we look for the, what they can do, and then we figure out why they're not going to be able to do it. That's scouting. And when it comes to, to this guy, all I got was positive, 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 and that's rare. Time for the – it's that time in the podcast where we look back at Jeremy's old scouting reports. I pulled up one from 2015. Pretty good player. Plays for the Phillies. Scott um, Kingery. I loved him. Oh, I loved him. You wrote regular second you wrote regular second baseman in major league role, natural hitter, baseball player, good athlete, winning player. Feel to be who he is in the box and isn't bothered by velocity, works counts, aggressive approach, easy actions on the infield, moves well laterally, soft hands, easy reads, runner with base stealing ability, looks to make things happen with his legs can beat you on both sides of the ball. Sounds like Scott Kingery. He's playing second base for the Phillies. Is that about right? I thought he was Chuck Knobloch. That's what I thought he was. And, um, man, Kingery's a winning player, man. It's it's a lot of fun. They got a pretty good club in Philly. Mm -hmm. Kingery and Hoskins. I want to say Hoskins was the 14 draft or 14 draft. So it's a pretty good club there. Um, they've done a good job in Philadelphia putting those guys together. But Scott King Kingery is a clubhouse-changing type of guy. He's a culture guy. He's a type to build a club around when it comes to his makeup, and, and he's made for a city like that because of the way he plays. It's perfect. On the 10-day uh, IL at this point. But here's a guy that um, can play multiple positions. When you find a guy like that, is it difficult for you to evaluate? Or do you say, this is where I see him, so when I look at my comps... I'm envisioning him as a second baseman or a outfielder or a third baseman. It's a great question. We actually had that conversation today in our meetings before I came in here. And you project him and you grade him out as to what he's going to be, where you think he's going to play. And I thought he was going to be a second baseman. You know, he's playing the outfield a little bit then in, in Arizona, but I thought he could play second base and that's where he'd stay. Um, it just, it, and so I, I graded him out and profiled him there. I think I had him in the sandwich round. I think that's about where he went to back of the first round. So, um, that's about right. I mean, that's how you do it. We just, I just talked to these, these uh, interns today about it. and talk, We talked about how to profile a guy when we're weighting a player, weighted, weighted scales and, and roles and 
overall future potential, which is something people don't use anymore, but how to get to that number and, and, and the technology and the data and the things that we're doing with our models to make that happen. Um, and yeah, you put them at second base, you project them there, you watch how the skills play, you watch what his ultimate role is going to be, and that's how you build it out. And I thought he played second base in big leagues for a long time. For the real baseball geeks out there, Jeremy is also the head of Program 15, New Balance Future Star Series. Recently announced that um, you will have the new combine, a world combine. A world combine. First, so how first is that going to work, and what is that going to mean for the players and perhaps scouts around Major League Baseball? This is the first ever combine of any scale. That work that this happens. Not to of my, this to, scale of any scale, to my knowledge. We've okay. got events, you've got showcases, you've got tournaments. Have you ever had a combine before? A real combine, something where you're doing measurables, where you're doing, you know, yeah, in the NFL, in the NFL. But in <laughs> baseball, we don't have that, right? Why is that? Uh, I don't can't tell you, but I know we got it now. My my guess is because scouts worked in such secrecy for so long. The scouting bureau. Major League Baseball for years wouldn't even release the names of draft picks. That's true. They wouldn't That's even true. give you the order because they were afraid college coaches would then come knocking on their door to take them away. That's a good point. Maybe maybe that has something to maybe. do with it. Maybe. What I do know is that we're behind there. And, and you know the commissioner, I was lucky enough to hear him speak a few years ago. And one of the things he said he wanted to develop was a consistent system between the United States and their labor, right? Labor laws. He's a labor attorney. And internationally. That's his role of how he does that at the major league level is, is, is good luck. That's a challenge, and good luck to him in doing that. But when it comes to the amateur level, we can do that. We can go ahead and we can organize um, development, evaluation, technology, training, just like we do over here for countries, countries outside the U.S. And we're doing that with Canada, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and, and we're working with some leaders in these countries, like some of the really best trainers and best advisors and, 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 and even some government people. And we're working with people to come together, Mexico, um, Colombia, I may say Colombia, Bahamas, right? Nine, nine countries, eight, nine countries to come together and create this event. And Australia is one of them, um, to find talent all over the globe and, and get them up to speed with the, with the data and the technology and some of the analytics that we're using today. Um, you put that with major league subjective scouting, you got yourself a pretty good profile. And that should enhance the player value and also enhance the return for a club, right? And so that's what we're doing. And that combine is going to be in March. We'll go down to all these countries in November. We'll see all these players. We'll, we'll write them up. We'll grade them out. We'll develop them. We'll see them again a couple months later in all these countries and bring them into Florida in March and let the whole world see them there. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Flow Sports TV is going to broadcast it globally. Um, which means all these kids with the New Balance Baseball Future Stars Series World Combine will be part of that. Um, we'll be, have a chance to be seen by anybody who wants to across the planet, and it truly is a global event. And putting things under that massive umbrella has certainly been an issue as well when you talk about the need or the desire of some to have a worldwide draft. That has also become an issue as well, and I can imagine that certainly would go into the issues of having a world combine because of everything else that has to do with players in the Dominican and players in from Colombia and Venezuela and, and all those other things. So there, that, that's pretty remarkable. There's some people who really would welcome the draft. A worldwide draft. Yeah, and they'd welcome things like an age limit change, right? And again, these are conversations for the commissioner of baseball to have. But there is something inherently wrong with a kid having to commit to a major league organization at 13 years old, right? 
there's something in here. We don't ask our kids over here to do it. Why would we ask them to do it? And, and there is something that something to that. Now, you know, look, Latin America, and we really are talking Latin America, Europe, Latin America, and, and Australia, they, they don't have the same um, systems as Mexico and Japan where they can play in the Mexican League. Mexican kids can sign at 16, but Japanese kids have to go play in, in you know, Japanese baseball. Yes. And then there's the posting system and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so it's really going to be a challenge for the commissioner to do that. But he can do things like raise the age limit and say you can't sign until you're 18 now. We can do things like have pretty stiff penalties if you commit to a major league organization. He's shown the tendency or the willingness, at least, to go ahead and make those type of changes and discipline area actions, justified or unjustified. He felt they were, and he's done them, right? So if these are the trends that are, that are coming, and we're going to ask them to play at the same level as the kids over here and have the same rules. Why wouldn't we train them properly? And so we're able to work with these countries and bring them together, and that's what's exciting. Now, we're running the same system over there. We're running the U.S. Evaluation for the purpose of development, development, exposed. That's what we're doing. And when it comes to what the next step is, there's more to come on the U.S. side that I haven't put out there yet. Okay? There's teaser. More, there's, there's more to come. Tease. There's more to come. It's a global initiative of New Balance Baseball. Um, we're excited to be a part of it, and that's the next step. I'm not a huge baseball trivia guy, but okay. occasionally I do like a good trivia question. My mom and other people in my family love to give me baseball books okay. for obvious reasons. Quickly, this is a good one. It's called the Bathroom Baseball Book, Hardball Trivia for the Best Seat in the House. Okay. <laughs> it's a fairly old book. I think I've seen this one. 1991, yeah. but you can still ask some pretty good questions because the ones from back in the day are still good because nothing's changed. So I'm just going to pick a couple of questions right, here and let's see. I've not looked at the answers, so I'm just going to pick a page and I'm ask like, a couple here. I've read this book. Go ahead. This hall of famer pitched a perfect game and in that game had three hits and three runs driven in. Who is he? And what is his real first name? This Hall of Famer pitched a perfect game, and in that game had three hits and three RBI. Who is he, and what is his real first name? I think I know it, but I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent certain. I'm going to take a stab at it, but go ahead. Cy Young. I don't know his first name. Uh, it's Denton. Denton. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say George Herman. That, that was Ruth, the other one. I had Babe Ruth. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I'll yeah. look. Um, bu -bu 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 -bu. give one of the two major league teams that the rifleman Chuck Connors played for, and do you know his position? I got nothing. <laughs> Second base, Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm gonna say Milwaukee and outfield. Milwaukee Braves and Milwaukee Brewers. Braves. Okay. All right. So number nine. He played first base with the Brooklyn Dodgers and <laughs> the Chicago Cubs. And number three, we are way off. Who is it? James Catfish Hunter managed this uh -huh. beat against the Twins in 1968. Man, who knew? Catfish Hunter. And Pretty one more. One. In 1961, right. these two Tigers drove in more than 130 runs apiece. In 1961, these two Tigers drove in more than 130 runs apiece. Who are they? I, one's obvious. Al Kaline? Yeah. But I don't know who would be the other. Oh, man. I'm just visualizing. It has to be a great player because that's a lot of RBIs. I don't know. I'm I don't gonna... either. We got Norm Cash. Yeah, well, that's a name we know. 
All right, everybody. That's another episode of Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth. Got anything else? I'm, I'm good. All right. Till next time. For Jeremy, I'm Jason. Cue the music. We're done. Thanks for listening to Extra Bases. <laughs>